Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This week's Major Spoilers podcast is brought to you by Marco Selmo, William English, and Thomas Lipscomb. Uh, Historically, the Selmo English Lipscomb was actually used to keep your beard safe and straight as early as 1916. In any case, this one goes out today. Spoilers theme song. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Pod on on the air. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod pod podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, 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 The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 389 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad you could join us this weekend. And this weekend, I thought I was going to have uh, Mark Finn on this week, but he actually couldn't make it. So uh, stepping up to the plate in his absence is none other than the great Bill Willingham. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you calling me a great Bill Willingham. And and I suppose if someone has to be... uh, a uh, Bill Willingham, I, I make a pretty good one. Um, I make a poor Mark Finn, though. Um, almost no one but Mark Finn himself uh, equals up to, to being one. So I'm sorry that that he wasn't able to make it, and you have to take me as a poor substitute. Oh, no, it's not a poor substitute. In fact, uh, we do have Mark scheduled, I think, for next week is when we have his schedule open up. So that'll be really good. And really, right now, Bill, you kind of complete my or, my original set, well, almost my original set, of the uh, Clockwork Storybook people. And yeah, so, I understand that you've uh, you've been collecting us. Uh, little know, by hopefully little. Hopefully not the way a, a serial killer collects victims and we <laughs> all end up in your basement somewhere, but... Uh, uh, but yes, yes, I understand you, you've been uh, uh, stalking and reining in the clockwork people for how long now? Oh man, I don't know. We started the website back in 2006, so at least around then. And then of course, uh, I met you, actually, I think I met you in 2000, either 2004 or 2005 at the San Diego Comic-Con, right about the time, oh, I want to say right about the time Matt Sturgis, I think, was coming on to Fables. Mm-hmm. And so I met met you then, and then I'd also met you at Planet Comic Con, uh, either the year before uh, in Kansas City, and oh, okay. uh, it was right yeah. I think right around the time the first trade of Fables had been released. Sure. So sure. I've been That's stalking you for a while, Mister Willingham. Pardon me. I've been stalking you for a while. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, I'm glad it finally paid off. <laughs> Click. <laughs> um. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people probably don't. Well, I, I, I guess Bill Willingham fans have known you and known of your work, you know, going all the way back to the old uh, TSR days when you were doing illustrations for Dungeons and Dragons stuff. 
Um, sure. But I think a, a majority of people probably had not heard of you until when? Probably around Green Lantern Fables time or, or were people um, pretty aware of you before then? Well, it, it kind of ebbed and flowed along with the, the ebb and flow of, of uh, one's comic career. Um, in the very early days of my comic career, I uh, launched a book called Elementals, which right. had uh, some pretty good uh, critical acclaim uh, and some sales success, uh, especially coinciding with the fact that the independent movement in comics was, was just getting going at that point, and Elementals was able to capitalize on that. Um, then, uh, and Elementals had a kind of a rocky on-again, off-again uh, start. Um, went away, I don't know, about three or four years uh, after the beginning, uh, and I kind of, for all intents and purposes, dropped out of sight uh, for many years. Uh, I did occasional things with DC Comics as an artist, did the mm -hmm. Green Lantern you spoke of, a couple of uh, uh, Justice League of America annuals and fill-ins and this and that. Uh, the problem is, is you can't really do this and that and uh, maintain a good, uh, vigorous comics following. Uh, right. Comics readers should not be expected uh, to meticulously uh, follow any given creator uh, without that creator's being somewhere where you can expect to see him on a, on a steady basis. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, um, between the elementals and fables, uh, it, was, it was kind of a station-keeping comics career uh, in the sense that I was uh, keeping enough of a following a readership and getting enough work just to keep from having to get a legitimate job somewhere. Right. But yeah. Fables uh, took off again and and uh, put a lie to the old adage that there are no second acts in this business. Um, right. I've uh, enjoyed uh, a second or third good chance at, at things and uh, and appreciate that the readers uh, are still around, some of those from, from past projects. And, right. Uh, ones all the time. Is it is it odd for you to be at a convention and have someone come up and say, "Oh my gosh, I've got this uh, one of the the Dungeons and Dragons books that you illustrated," or or they bring up copies of illust uh, of Elementals? Is that uh, kind of odd, or is that shocking or surprising that people seek you out with some of those materials? It used to be. It used to used to surprise me, and it used to uh, to make me cringe because I look at at some of that early work and. Uh, um, and cringe because uh, any of us in this business uh, can only really see the mistakes we made in, mm. in old work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wish I could go back and, and change history and redraw everything I've drawn and rewrite everything I've written. Uh, but we're not, uh, we're not given those powers yet. Um, it took me some time to get to the point where rather than just cringing at... at uh, my own lack of abilities, then uh, I can instead kind of look at at it through the reader's eyes and see the uh, the kind of goofy, cocky enthusiasm that I brought to that early work, yeah. uh, and and see that that uh, that attracted readers in the first place. 
so now, no, it doesn't bother me. It flatters me intensely. I mean, the fact that uh, uh, that there are readers that are willing to devote uh, their time to to my storytelling abilities uh, is is just a, a uh, tremendously um, what do I want to say? Uplifting experience. Uh, Good. Um, I, I certainly enjoy it uh, now. You know, at one period, period you were working in some adult comics with Ironwood, which yeah. you know is is. Do you still have people come up and get autographed copies of that? Sure, from time to time. And the only uh, um, the only cringeworthy element of that is uh, that. Um, and this isn't really often a, a problem, is that uh, even some of the covers of that series were a little bit racy. Right. Uh, so I'd prefer that, that if you are going to do that, uh, just make sure there's no, no uh, young children in line or in the immediate vicinity when you, when you plop those bad boys down on the table and say, can you sign these for me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Most people are, most readers are pretty discreet right. uh, about like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's not a, an embarrassment to to have done these or, or to be willing to signing sign them, but uh, I don't want to take the responsibility of, of uh, hurrying along any particular child's education mm-hmm. uh, maturity uh, beyond what uh, his par- parents have planned for him. So. Well, you know, you know, just on that on that one series there. I mean, that's a, a fantasy series. It's got dragons and demons and, you know, all sorts of things. And, you know, when you take out the sex elements of the of the story, which, you know, obviously comprise a large portion of each issue, you know, there's some good storytelling in there. And thank you. You know, it was I think it was around that same time that I discovered those back issues uh, that I started finding the clockwork storybook uh, stuff uh, online and you were talking about you know cringeworthy stuff and wanting to go back and rewrite. Is is that a, a desire to improve? Um, one of the things that that caused you to start up Clockwork Storybook. Oh, always, uh, and especially with Clockwork Storybook, uh, it it grew out of uh, well two two basic stages. Um, one, uh, I had. Uh, been making some headway in the comics business, and although this was before Fables, so I did not know then that uh, some some big strides in comics were yet ahead of me. Uh, I kind of had learned the ins and outs of of doing comic books. Uh, granted, there's always uh, going to be a challenge in in doing any kind of story well. The the challenges in, in telling the story uh, well. Uh, are going to be there no matter what medium you're working in. But there were, were there were no questions left for me on whether or not I could do comics mechanically. Did I know how to do it? Did I know how to mm-hmm. how to use a particular language of comics and, and that type of thing? Uh, so in that sense, that was a world already conquered, and I wanted to um, you know go on and, and strive against other things. And 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 when you're talking about uh, this kind of business, the, the striving happens in, in a world of uncertainty. In right. Of, can I do this? Uh, prose writing was an area that I did not feel I had uh, tremendous skills in yet and, uh, and wanted to see if I could do it. Um, so to further that, I was living in Austin at the time, 
our mutual friend Mark Finn. I knew he was he was working at Awesome Books, and I asked him. Uh, and Mark was at that time a, a fellow with a uh, foot in both camps that he would do comics and he would do prose. Uh, and I asked him if he knew any other prose writers. Let's get together and, and form a writing group. And he knew two people. Uh, Chris Robertson and uh, Matt Sturgis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funnily enough, uh, I didn't know these fellows. Um, they were friends of Mark Finn. Uh, and he, Mark, so they were terrific writers. Uh, but I did not want to uh, get in a group with people that, um, you know how the advice in sports is to uh, always practice against someone who's better than you. Right. Than you better right uh you constantly practice with someone who's weaker than you then then he's the one getting better and you're the one getting weaker mm-hmm. so i wanted writers better than me um so I, I made mark uh and i'm embarrassed by this to this day i made mark uh have uh, them submit samples to me for uh <laughs> uh for like like an interview right uh, right uh and they did and they they were wonderful Pro samples and and so we got together as a group of four people, uh, and we're we're just going to do that. Just using this as the the re- reason for, for forming the writing group was, we all want to write pro stories. Let's use this this group to to get our skills uh, up and mm-hmm. running uh, with each other, um, because. Uh, the online computer world was really taking off at that point. I think it was inevitable that uh, that we had the idea as long as we're writing this stuff. Uh, and we were pretty prolific as a writer's group. We we uh, perhaps foolishly decided that each of us had to have a new story ready every week. Yeah. And uh, my understanding now is that a lot of writer's groups don't uh, don't require that you produce that much. But we were producing stories. And so why not put these online and you know run them, run them by a, a wider readership than just the four of us? What I what I like about that series is though that you set it in that shared world in a shared universe where essentially you set it in Sansibola and then you had these little sections and characters could cross over into other stories and you could you could borrow you know uh, one of Mark's creations or one of Matt's characters and have them appear in, in your story and vice versa. And I just, I, I found that at the time really interesting and really fascinating to see these different writers coming together in a way that made this feel like a, a real universe that actually had some impact, not unlike what we see in the comic book world today w- with DC and Marvel. Well, sure. Um, those of us that grew up reading comics grew up with, with uh, shared interrelated universes uh, so that was that was the waters with which we were all uh, familiar. Uh, as a matter of fact, of the four of us, Matt was the least weaned on comic books. He came to comic books later on in life, but uh, hmm. Chris Robertson grew up with him, Mark Finn, I did. Uh, so the idea of us having a shared universe uh, was an easy one to grasp immediately. Uh, Matt came to us more of a, a, a prose... Um, mentality, and, and and yet there were were also shared universes there. I mean, the uh, um, thieves' world uh, shared universe, the um, uh, wild card, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was was something all of us, I think, could pretty quickly grasp. And um, right away, there's there's fun in that because 
we got to write our individual stories, but in a shared university, the world building was a community affair, um, and you're you're kind of building this fictional world about four times faster than you could as an individual, mm-hmm. which is. Yeah, I, I found that really cool. I mean, every week or uh, I think multiple times per week, if I remember correctly, there would be a new uh, you know, story from you or Mark or, or Bill Williams or other people that, that would come on. And it was just like every day I had something to look forward to reading. And it was really, really wonderful. And it was a good way to spend the time uh, beyond sure, just well, sitting in front of the television. Yeah, we started off with the, the um, uh, normal template for a magazine, which is you come out with a new issue every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would once a month put up a uh, an online version of our magazine, and, and uh, each of us would be responsible to have at least one story in there. Um, it quickly, our ambitions uh, overran that uh, one story a month uh, requirement when we wanted to do uh, more things, and and when we began to realize that the only reason um, print magazines were were monthly. Uh, is because that's what they could afford to do print-wise and all that, right. and didn't have the, those uh, restrictions uh, online. So it, it grew, it evolved quickly into, uh, we'd put them up weekly, we'd put them up once in a while. Uh, when some of us wanted to uh, uh, venture some longer-than-short-story type things, we started these 30-day novel things where, Mm-hmm. where we'd write a, a novel-length or novelette-length story um, and put up a new bit of it every single day for 30 days. Right. Uh, and this predates uh, things like the National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, who, whose whole purpose is to do that, to, in 30 days, produce an entire novel. Uh, we were a little ahead of, ahead of the curve. Oh, definitely. Regard. Yeah, definitely. And I was really pleased to have you guys uh, kind of... Uh, have the uh, Clockwork Storybook uh, Writing Challenge come back uh, this year and and have uh, portions of that appear up on the Major Spoilers website. Yeah, that was fun. I took some lumps doing that, but uh, it is fun. Uh, but in this case, uh, I think it's even uh, more important, and thank you very much for uh, for hosting that and, and for kind of boostering us all along the way. Uh, it's more important because... Um, Back then, we were sort of writer wannabes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and now we're doing it as, as published writers. So each one of those uh, stories uh, that we did most recently here uh, all have an eventual home waiting for them. Um, and uh, so we're not giving it away for free on a daily basis online, but uh, uh, but doing the work in kind of a public uh, a gentleman's contest sort of way uh, and with the readers knowing that eventually they will have some way to go ahead and get a hold of these stories uh, was uh, was pretty encouraging. And so what was the end result of that contest? I mean, there were, I think, what, 10 of you uh, that participated? Did there everybody... were 10 of us that participated. Uh, uh, about half clockwork people and some invited guests and, and all that. Uh, the results so far... Our, uh, Mark, of course, finished his online because, you know, uh, Mark does stuff like that, damn him. Um, <laughs> uh, quite a few. Uh, Daryl Gregory got a first draft of his novel uh, out of that, and it's just this amazing, amazing uh, um, 
I guess kids not. It's um, is it middle reader? Uh, I should know. Oh, young adult. That's uh, right there in that in that space between uh, children's book and young adult novel. Oh, okay. He did an amazing thing that uh, um, has some publisher interest in, and uh, uh, Matt Sturgis wrote uh, quite impressively uh, his first uh, prose non non uh, I mean uh, fictional but non fantasy uh, book mm-hmm. uh, a um, you know book about real people in real situations with no. Uh, no ghosts, superpowers, vampires, etc. To uh, uh, as as I guess he would he would put it you know to use as a crutch since that was his his comfort zone. I think right. we all have a comfort zone in, in that kind of story, and and for him to go so boldly outside of it uh, was pretty impressive. And he wrote a good story too. Um, uh, let's see, Bill Williams did another version, another. Um, novel of his uh, Detective Quinn series, which is a really uh, visceral uh, Texas uh, um, private eye type thing in the uh, tradition of, of Parker Spencer oh, yeah. and uh, Chandler's uh, Philip Marlowe, you know, tough. Um, uh, no one gets out of this without a few bumps and bruises. Mm-hmm. Thing. And I wrote um, the uh, the novel that I've been promising to my agents for a while. Uh, my first novel, Peter and Max, was a fables-based thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, second novel, Down the Missouri River, uh, is a children's book, or, or actually that uh, um, the young reader, um, which or middle reader, uh, which is that uh, that nebulous uh, older than children's book, uh, yeah. younger than YA. Yeah. Um, and uh, talking to my agents, they said, the next thing we want from you uh, is, is some kind of adult novel, uh, not adult as in, you know, erotic or whatever, but right. in the mature sensibilities novel, um, which is where the, the bulk of your readership is anyway. Uh, and I promised them that for some time, but in the comic book world, finding uh, time to switch over and do... Uh, a really long form prose work is difficult to do, so I needed I needed that 30 day challenge to to get the the pump primed and and the engine started along that way and made great headway. I did not finish, um, and I'm still working on it, but um, great headway on on what will be my third novel. Excellent, uh, which is within my comfort zones in the sense of. It is uh, urban fantasy, uh, adventure in a magical realm kind of stuff. Um, those the, who did the Santa Bola stuff will find that some of the elements of those days have have made it into this novel. Excellent, because I I just I, I keep on I just love that that world and that environment. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because the tales were so good and the. Um, descriptions of it were so rich or that I was living in California at the time and I could place kind of, you know, where this was supposed to be at, but that, that was just good stuff. And you guys really deserve a lot of, a lot more credit, uh, for, you know, taking up that challenge and doing that writing and then, you know, carrying it forward. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, uh, for us, it was, 
primarily a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a suicidal reason, we decided let's do this <laughs> learning experience uh, in full public. Right. Um, I think of it in terms of uh, um, I would have long ago, uh, I've always been fascinated with martial arts and karate and things like that, and, and uh, in the Army learned just enough of it to kind of wet my whistle to think that, that I'd, I'd like to learn more. Mm-hmm. But the awesome thing about that is every single one of those karate dojos are done with a full floor-to-ceiling plate glass window to where everything you do is going to be uh, viewable by the public right. at large. And that was always off-putting to me because it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm a proud, clumsy American. I, uh, <laughs> um, I falter with the best of them. And maybe, maybe it would be a good idea to, uh, to do a little bit of this uh, safely behind the uh, uh, nice, comfortable concealing walls, uh, just at least until I'm a little more confident in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, you know, metaphorically what we were doing with the uh, the online thing is like we're going to learn our craft. But for some reason, we, we decided to do it in a picture window where anyone who wanted to could come along and observe. Well, the One of the things in the in the writing challenge is the losers have to make and serve a, a, an excellent meal for, for the winners. Because you yes. didn't finish, are you going to be cooking and, and serving up uh, to your fellow writers? You bet we, uh, I am. And uh, I, th- I, think, uh, I think there's one or two that, that may have to help me. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe everyone did, uh, did finish. Uh, it, not so much finish, but... Uh, they had to do some, had to post something every day. Oh, okay. And so even though I kept writing, I I missed a couple of key days where I didn't get something posted to the others, uh, and that's where I uh, fell behind. But in any case, uh, you bet I will. Uh, I enjoy cooking. I'm not. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to the, um, you know, having to. Uh, to put on the old butler garb again and and serve it to him and. and <laughs> Fancy attire, but uh, but yeah, I will indeed be uh, cooking and serving to them uh, at the next clockwork retreat. Excellent. Now I understand that there's something else coming. Are you guys started a new website, or is there something going on with with the uh, with the writing challenge that you're going to continue? Well, no sooner ha- uh, were we closing in on the end of the uh, the 30 day challenge than Matt contacted us and and uh, flushed with his victory that that he'd gotten uh, a good YA uh, uh, novel uh, out of this, uh, said, you know, I don't want to fall back on the uh, not writing for, for long lengths of time again. Uh, and he read, I think, in one of the Stephen King books that uh, uh, the Stephen King um, as a personal uh, discipline kind of thing, just make sure he writes every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only days off he gives himself is uh, Christmas and his birthday. And Matt said, well, he's going to do that. He's going to continue uh, to write at least something every day except for his birthday and Christmas. And he said that uh, in an email to us, and uh, a couple of the other guys said that's a good idea. And I thought it was a good idea, of course, too, because uh, the reason I, I was behind in, in getting the third novel done was just because I was not disciplined to make sure that at least a little bit of it gets worked on every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined it, too. So we all, uh, a bunch of it, I think there's 
five or six of us doing this, uh, agreed that we would uh, do that. We would, for the next year, uh, and I think we started uh, February 13th, um, we'd just make sure we wrote a little bit every day, but uh, uh, every day. Yeah. About fifth. Uh, this is this is not a posting thing. There's not a contest thing associated with it. There's no penalties for for not doing it. Uh, but um, we are trying to keep track of it and keep track online just for those who who want to uh, follow our progress if there is any. Uh, and so Matt started something uh, on something called Tumblr, mm-hmm. and uh, I sort of vaguely know what that means. Uh, <laughs> something called the Million Word March, which is a uh, a cute title for it. Right. Uh, if we all write something every day, uh, collectively, we'll uh, we should pretty easily uh, top over a million words. Uh, Excellent. Fairly soon. Um, but it's too catchy a title. Uh, you don't you don't call it the three million word march or the um, million word march and then a few more. Uh, but uh, but certainly. There's a bunch of us, and we will we will try and get something written every day. And this is this is how I'm going to finish this novel, and and uh, then hopefully the next one I want to do uh, I won't uh, take so long before finishing one and starting the next. Excellent. Well, we were we were talking a little bit ago how Ironwood there there seem to be some elements or characters that seem to appear in my mind into Clockwork Storybook, and then it also seems that there are. Um, situations, and I don't want to say that they're, you know, exact, but there are similar situations uh, that appeared in fables as well. Do you, do you do that? I mean, is that intentional or am I just reading too much into uh, your work? Well, I, I guess it's intentional and and no, I don't think you're reading things into it. I think um, it's, you know, I like to do the kind of stories I like to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, even though, uh, hopefully, in, in, as the career progresses, I'm getting better at it. So the sort of uh, absurd, uh, snarky characters that you saw in Ironwood mm-hmm. uh, are proto-versions of the kind you will see now in Fables and other projects. Uh, but that's just because that's, that's what I like. You know, that, that's right. the kind of story I like to write. Right. Uh, one of the reasons Fables got off the ground as a series is that um, even from the elementals days, I was obviously interested in fables and folklore and fairy tales and kept sort of inserting those elements into what had started out, in, at least in my mind, to be a, a fairly standard superhero comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the stories, the San Cibola stuff, the Ironwood, the, uh, the bits and pieces, things that I was doing for Vertigo here and there, uh, all of those elements kept coming back uh, again and again. It was pretty clear uh, eventually that these were the kinds of stories I liked to write. Fables then was was just a matter of admitting to myself that, you know, since you like writing these kinds of stories, why not just drop that other shoe, come entirely out of the closet and say, this is what I write. This is the kind of stuff I write. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and the kind of characters... Uh, they, they've kind of uh, shown up throughout. The, yeah. Uh, not entirely disrespectful, but the, uh, the not, 
what would be the word I'm looking for? The uh, not the the quiet, respectful uh, type of character. Uh, right. That that character is a little alien to me, and I would I would I would feel like I was pretending to to be in a world I don't actually inhabit if I tried to uh, to do too many of those types of characters. You know, copyright has to be a constant thing with the fables title and the upcoming fairest as well, because you know, where, who owns these characters, what's in the public domain, which mega corporation owns them this week. And then of course, international copyright. Is that something that's still a bother, you know, now that we're, you know, what, almost 200 issues into fables. Once in a while, um, uh, part of it is, is the, the information on what is actually, in and not yet in the public domain is pretty readily available now. Mm-hmm. The only times we really get into trouble is a situation similar to uh, the Peter Pan situation where um, in the United States, uh, in the progression of, of how things become public domain, Peter Pan had entered the public domain. Mm-hmm. So it was that... Uh, material, those characters were all free for, for the use of anyone who wanted to. However, uh, the United Kingdom, um, uh, it had entered the public domain and just sort of gotten snatched back. They, they did a special uh, act of parliament to, to get it back under copyright protection mm. because uh, Jim Barry, when in his will, had... Uh, uh, had willed all the proceeds from Peter Pan to a specific children's hospital. Um, Parliament did not want that children's hospital to be uh, suddenly broke, and uh, and I don't blame them. I mean, it, it's uh, it's a very good uh, thing to have the the royalties from such a beloved work go to. Um, and because we were going to sell uh, tables in the UK, then we were we were stuck under under a, a different rubric than the one we have here in the States. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brought us up short, because at that point, uh, you know, the D.C. legal office was saying, no, it's still in copyright, and I said, no, come on, I know that it's in public domain, uh, and it took a while to find out why we were both right, just, you know, in, in different domains. Uh, but that kind of thing doesn't happen often. Uh, most of the time... Uh, uh, I would even say all of the time, other than that, uh, we've been on pretty firm ground uh, making sure that the characters we use uh, are well within the public domain by the time uh, I get my greedy fingers on them. <laughs> uh, early on, uh, uh, DC had me make a character list of everyone we were in the process of using or planned to use. Uh-huh. And they, they just had their people run down the list and bet to make sure that they were in the public domain. Now uh, we do basically the same thing, but as a as we go kind of thing, as characters come up in new scripts and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. If question about them, uh, they're rather discreetly checked out. Oh, okay. Do you have any any, any thoughts? Are you familiar with this um, Edgar Rice Burroughs? Uh, Inc. and the Dynamite uh, lawsuit over uh, uh, Lord of the Jungle and Warlord of Mars. Has that come to to an actual lawsuit now? Well, I, I know that um, that uh, ERB 
filed a, a, a suit in court telling them that they telling the court that they wanted damages for the reputation uh, harm caused by some of the covers and some of the uh, characterizations of those characters oh, in the really? books. Yeah, it, it, it was like two or three weeks ago that this uh, came out. I think I want to say like February huh. 16th or something like that. Um, okay. The the situation with the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs properties is that uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, was a prolific writer uh, mm-hmm. who wrote over a, a large span of years. Uh, as a result of that, um, uh, like some of the uh, Tarzan books were right on the cusp of some of them are in the public domain and some of them have yet to be. And every year, like more of them are moving into the public domain. Mm-hmm. The Mars, he wrote, he created so many different series and, and worlds and, and all that. Um, so, and this is, this is an odd area. This is, uh, um, you know, you have uh, specific books that are in the public domain so does that mean that that character is now free for use in public domain? But there's still books in which that character exists that are in uh, uh, still under copyright. Um, I suspect uh, that that no one knows for certain, you know, exactly how those lines are drawn, and it's it's kind of uh, worked out as as we go along. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when laws are passed, you don't uh, uh, you don't creating a law, a law so complex that it, it uh, uh, covers every possible permutation uh, that may come up. Uh, so I guess, you know, uh, others are uh, wiser beings, judges and lawyers are going to have to navigate those waters and figure out, you know, how you can do that. That said, all sorts of uh, uh, reprints of the uh, definitely within public domain, Tarzan and Mars books and things like that are coming out by other publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have groups like the Edgar Rice Burroughs people uh, and that, that uh, they're pretty crafty at, at even as they lose things to the public domain uh, that covers copyright but not trademarks right. they manage to keep the trademarks alive and, and uh, uh, I think adds to the, the mess of, of you know what can you do mm-hmm. what can you publish, what can you get away with and that's kind of what uh, they're doing here they're, they're doing it's actually in one suit, they've got two claims, one on trademark infringement over the titles Lord of the Jungle and Warlord of Mars, and then copyright infringement because the books are published in um, or released in Great Britain where um, the the books are still under copyright protection. Oh, really? See, yeah. now that's, that's a danger area that, uh, um, that we managed to avoid. Now, have you ever ever considered using the Tarzan characters or uh, John Carter characters in, in any of the Fables books? Oh, you bet. You bet. And uh, I don't know... Um, I know we've seen, like, Bagheera, or uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's Jungle Book, but I mean, you know, the you know, Tarzan sure. himself. Um, it's a possibility. Uh, our plans for Fables are, are so far in advance that... Uh, uh, that all of this will be be long resolved by the time I get to it, if I ever want to use them, and and the the Edgar Rice Burroughs characters. Uh, one of the things he did early on uh, was establish that that all of the myriad characters he writes and all of their different worlds and stuff really do take place in the same fictional universe, mm-hmm. and he had them crossed over all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would almost be a, a disservice to to the wonderful memories there to to throw them into 
uh, another fictional universe. I suppose if I ever decide to uh, to dust off my love for for all of those characters, um, it would be something outside of Fable, something specific to um, that that big sprawling universe that uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs has already created. Have you uh, have you ever been approached to uh, take? the fables universe and, and try to have a crossover with the DC universe. I mean, I know we've seen a lot of vertical vertigo titles move over in the new 52, uh, you know, a uh, swamp thing and, and uh, uh, Constantine and so forth. But have, has there ever been any pressure of, Hey, you know, there's a mad hatter in the Batman universe and there's a mad hatter in the fables universe. What about a crossover? Oh, Bill? Will oh. Yeah, there's, there's no pressure. Um, this question or, or something like it comes up a lot, which is uh, because a lot of the, of the Vertigo characters were being brought back into the DCU. Uh, but remember, those were uh, Vertigo characters that were owned by mm-hmm. uh, DC. Uh, so, yeah, they could say, you know, let's shift our characters over from that sandbox to this one. Uh, no, the Fables characters are owned by me, and, and so, no, there was no pressure to do that. That said, um, you know, there's, there's that uh, fanish part of me that uh, I'd love to see uh, how a character like Bigby gets along with Batman or, or mm-hmm. something like that along the way. That, that would that would just be too fun to explore. Um, but uh, no, there's no specific plans for anything like that uh, right now. Um, that said, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if you saw Fable's characters showing up in someone else's sandbox uh, sometime soon. Um, I will do nothing but but leave you with that hint. I'm not okay. specific. Well, a, a question one of the one of our uh, Twitter followers uh, had asked, and this kind of goes into the copyright issue and maybe your own personal feelings about fables. You know, copyright was originally set up so that the creator could make some some money off of his work while he was alive, but then eventually that work would be given back to to the public or handed sure. off. And uh, one of the questions uh, that one of our Twitter followers asked was, you know. How do you feel about sometime in the future someone taking over fables, or is that even a possibility? Well, the way the, the copyright currently works is is uh, no one could do that in, in my lifetime. I uh, I know I'm going to misremember the exact thing, but the, the current copyright is the, like the a, author's lifetime mm-hmm. plus. Yeah, 75 number. or something. Right. So if that happens, it's... Um, uh, it's not going to until I am uh, I am nicely dead and contributing uh, <laughs> my my uh, waste atoms to uh, all sorts of other projects all over the the world of the universe. I doubt I'm going to be in a position to care too much. Um, as far as how I feel about it in, in the long run, uh, I'd be the the worst kind of hypocrite to say that uh, you know I've benefited so much from public domain. Uh, to feel too territorial that that my stuff will eventually also pass into public domain. Right. Um, well, and maybe not just public domain, but just handing it off to another writer. One of the things that I keep uh, uh, joking with Matt Sturgis and, and Mark Finn and Chris Roberson is they obviously have to have something hanging over your head uh, because you are kind of that gateway for them to get into writing uh, for D.C., and, uh, you know, Matt and, and Mark have both written some arcs and fables, but I mean, if, if uh, you know, would you be comfortable just, you know, five years from now saying, you know, I'm kind of done writing fables. I'm just going to let 
Matt or I'm going to let Mark or I'm going to let this upcoming promising writer that I like a lot take over this series? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, uh, Matt and uh, Chris have done Things and Fables. Mark has not yet, although oh, okay. that's going to uh, be fixed uh, sometime, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Um, that's a good question. Uh, right now, because uh, because Mark Buckingham, more than any other person, has contributed so much to Fables, uh, right now the way the will's written, if I... Uh, uh, if I walk in front of a bus tonight, then then it's his headache, and uh, oh, okay. he gets to decide if he's going to write her or whomever. Um, so you know, uh, when I'm dead, ask him. Uh, <laughs> if, as far as if I get, I can't imagine getting tired of fables before I'm I'm dead. Uh, mm-hmm. In the sense of uh, the thing that drives any story is is there an idea that you're just dying to pursue. And uh, for all of its uh, uh, potential faults, uh, Fables uh, never fails uh, to generate uh, many more story ideas with each new issue. Uh, We will never, or, you know, in my lifetime, I'll never get to uh, all the stories, ideas that uh, that have been spawned out of what we've done so far. Exactly. I mean, Jack of Fables came out of this. The Cinderella sure. um, uh, series came out of that. And um, uh, now we've got the new Ferris, which comes out this week, uh, that Ferris? looks at the uh, at the ladies of the Fables universe. Yeah, and primarily Ferris exists or is about to exist as a series specifically because uh, Fables itself didn't come out often enough to uh, to retire all of the things we wanted to do with with such a huge ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we would probably uh, really uh, uh, overdo things if we uh, came out with a dozen issues uh, of Fables knockoffs per month. But but I could see just in the in the strict sense of how many ideas we've got that we'd love to get to someday. Um, we could easily, easily publish a dozen issues of Fables a month and still not even begin to scratch the surface of all the stories we want to tell someday down the line. That said, um, we are human. We'll Mm -hmm. have to take our time to to tell all these things, and and, uh, hopefully our readers are are human too and and don't mind uh, just waiting a little bit uh, to get all of those hundreds of stories that uh, are in the pipeline uh, out and about. Yeah, one of the things that surprised me when I was talking with Chris is that uh, he had said that, you know, he's got another Cinderella story ready to go, but it's yep. not going to come out until, you know, the fourth arc in the Ferris, uh, in the Ferris series, which is like, what, two years away or something like that. And I'm just like, uh, wow, that that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, well... You got to understand that uh, um, we do like to uh, plan these things pretty far in advance. Uh, from time to time, like with any series, uh, especially when it has to come out month in month out, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get into trouble and be scrambling at the last minute to get things done. Uh, but that said, ideally, uh, we work well in advance, and with uh, fables. Uh, the major storylines and stuff we plan out years in advance. Uh, Cinderella's like that too, um, and part of that is to is to accommodate the fact that uh, uh, that Chris, since his uh, comic uh, career has taken off, 
uh, it's a pretty busy man. We, we mm-hmm. can't always get him exactly as soon as we want him. Um, I'm certain, well, I'm fairly certain that our initial plan is that he, he might have been the one to do the second arc in Ferris, uh, but there was a scheduling thing. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, uh, you know, those, those things happen. Uh, oh, yeah. When it happens, we, uh, we're going to be uh, pretty excited to do it, and it'll be a, a uh, really, really fun and interesting story. If, if people are, if our listeners aren't familiar, to live for. pardon me. Uh, I was going to say before, for our listeners who aren't familiar, give us the pitch on what Ferris is about and and why people should should pick it up this upcoming Wednesday. Sure, Ferris is a series is um, a companion book to Fables. It takes place in the same fictional universe that Fables does. It uses the same cast of characters that Fables does, although. I imagine, uh, just like with the Jack series, uh, it will eventually introduce its own supporting cast as well. But the premise is to, since Fables is such a huge ensemble cast, um, less and less are we able to take individual characters aside and give them their own story, their own adventure, and really take a prolonged look at individual characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So Ferris is now the mechanism that uh, the engine that we're going to use to do that, to grab one character, in my case, uh, starting off with Sleeping Beauty, and say, okay, what's happened to her? The last we saw in Fables, she was put to sleep, and she's been asleep for a long time. Right. So what happens next with her? And let's take a uh, fairly prolonged look. And then after that, we're going to uh, take a look at Rapunzel, who's only shown up uh, in a few background uh panels here and there in the story and in one very brief three-panel, uh, three-page story. Um, and, you know, she's too interesting a character to to just leave her as a background uh, a piece of filler like that. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at her um, uh, and then answer some of, use that as a venue also to answer some of the unanswered questions uh, about the Fables universe. So, fable stories, but in the fair series, uh, stories concentrating, shining the spotlight on one central character or maybe one or two central characters. The idea of the title, Fairest, is just a fun exploration of the fact that um, all of these individual fairy tales, you would have the the female character be known as the fairest throughout the land, fairest Mm -hmm. in all the land. Um, and that's fine when they exist as they originally were as a separate uh, autonomous tales. But in something like Fables, where you're taking all of these these fairs and all the lands and suddenly cramming them together in one community, uh, mm-hmm. there's room for friction there. Uh, what is really the who is really the fairest? Uh, I'm reminded of in mythology the Judgment of Paris, where he had to. Uh, decide who was really the the uh, most beautiful of all the goddesses and no matter who he picked he was going to piss off all of the others and, right. and boy that guy's life was basically screwed no matter what he did <laughs> um, and I feel a little bit like like Paris in this situation where um, uh, at some point uh, are we going to attempt to answer that question who really is the fairest in all the land mm-hmm. uh, and if we do then uh, 
then I, I better have a place to hide out because, of course, uh, no matter how much of the readership we please, uh, a dozen times that are, are going to be a little pissed off. Oh, yeah. How do yeah. you deal with how do you deal with uh, uh, fan backlash? I mean, you're you're the person that killed Stephanie Brown or uh, for a while killed Stephanie Brown over in the Batman books in, in Robin. Uh huh. And surely um, you got a lot of crap for that. I did. Um, part of the well. There's, there's no really great way to answer that question. Um, in the Stephanie Brown situation, uh, when I agreed to take on Robin uh, as a series, that was the first thing they said, is uh, before you agree, you uh, better know that we've already decided that Stephanie Brown is doomed. Mm. That, that she, is, she is a dead man walking uh, to a certain extent down the road. Uh, you better know that coming in. And, I kind of like, yeah, okay, fine, that's, that's fine with me. Uh, because uh, I'd been aware of the character, but I wasn't, I wasn't very attached to her. Right. Yet. I didn't, no, I didn't, uh, you know, one, one more dead fictional character, that's fine. Uh, the problem was in, in, in getting to write Robin, and, of course, the first thing I had to do uh, when I agreed to write Robin is reread every Robin uh, comic from, from issue one. Uh, you know, I got to like the character, uh, which resulted in, uh, you can say I, I killed Stephanie Brown, and I guess I was uh, uh, the one writing the, the big mega bat crossover to that particular issue when it happened. Right. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, the decision I did make was the one to uh, float the idea that as long as we're going to kill her, and I have this storyline coming up where, where Tim quits being Robin for a while. Uh, can we give her the job? Uh, and Bob Shrek, who was head of the, uh, the bat department at the time, says, yeah, sure, that's fine. Just make sure that, that she loses a job before the big event in which we're going to kill her because we don't want another dead Robin on our hands. And I go, mm. fine, we'll get her out of the job. And right. we put Stephanie Brown in as a new Robin, and it took off. Uh, sales went up, uh, it got some attention. Um, and this is, this is one regret thing, is that when you have a big industry that makes big decisions a long time down the line, uh, it's like trying to steer the Titanic. You don't do a lot of quick maneuvers with a ship mm-hmm. that size. Um, so when Stephanie Brown took off as the female Robin, uh, and it got such uh, attention, um, I came to D.C. and said, you know, can we run with this for a while? And I go, no, the, the plans for her doom are locked in. We cannot... Uh, change that now, uh, and I thought that was too bad because uh, a more agile um, craft one hopes we could have uh, uh, let that let that play out for a bit more. Uh, so I don't know if I answered your question. Well, but, but I mean, you had a, I mean there was there were a lot of fan backlash. I mean, just in anything. I mean, you could come out tonight and say you know you like Rose Red as your favorite. Fables character, and you're going to have you know a hundred thousand people go all bat crazy and start uh, uh, you know f- sending you angry letters and hateful twitters and all of those kinds of things. How how do you deal how do you deal with that, or do, does it not even bother you at I this don't. point? I don't. You know, it, it's just like a politician now cannot even even say. Uh, was it George Bush that said he didn't like broccoli? Broccoli, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and then of course that's that's headlines for weeks and then the 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 American Broccoli Council and who knew there was such a thing before <laughs> that is up in arms against them and and so now you can't even say one one passing remark like that um with the exception that I'm not a politician, so uh, of course I can uh, say things, and, and I can decide to kill this character, or uh, or say that you know uh, I like this one this one character better than than so so, and um, yeah, I'll take my lumps. I mean, people will get up in arms about anything, uh, but since I'm not uh, running for office, I don't you know I don't have to uh, kowtow to the individual reader. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to make every reader happy, you're doomed in advance to make none happy because you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, write the the one story that's that's going to satisfy every reader want and need. Uh, that's that's just impossible. Uh, when you try, you end up with something bland. You know, there's a very good reason why in the army right away you learn that mess hall food is as bland as possible because they need to um, uh, gear their cuisine to the lowest common denominator, meaning the <laughs> you know, most delicate stomach, the right. uh, whatever. And that if you want it spicier and more interesting than that, it's up to you to add whatever it is you need to add mm-hmm. uh, to make it. Um, when you try to gear stories towards you know, the, the supremely universal audience, uh, they also end up kind of bland and easily digestible, but not really all that fun for anyone. Um, and who wants that? Right. So the only solution is to do the best story you know how to do. Uh, some readers will love it. Some will hate it. The vast majority will. Yeah, it's not kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. And and an even greater majority will never know it exists. So, uh, you know, you can't chase that chimera anyway. <laughs> uh, some more questions from our listeners, and we'll wrap it up here. Uh, someone sure. would like to know if you've ever considered asking Neil Gaiman to contribute to the Ferris series. Uh, I don't know that we've ever, you know, uh, formally let him know that that uh, uh, that he could, but uh, but I suppose there are there are some writers in the world that would have a standing invitation to um, say that. That if they wanted to write a uh, a fable story, they could. Um, that reminds me that another reason that we started Ferris is that there are other writers that express interest in writing fable stories, and in Ferris, it's not just me that's going to write it; it's, it's various writers. Uh, so that is our our venue for trying out new writers or getting guest writers in that type of thing. Uh, you know what? If if he showed up and said, uh, I have this uh, idea that could only work in uh, in your fictional universe, uh, I think the, the door would be wide open. That said, um, this is very close to the, the fictional sandboxes in which he already plays so deftly, mm-hmm. so I can't imagine uh, any situation in which he would not uh, have his own venue. Uh, in which to do things like that. But, you know, if Neil Gaiman or George R.R. R. Martin or, or various giants of the industry were to, to come knock and say, I, I want to do it, you bet. The door would be wide open. Has it been announced who are, who's writing 
the upcoming arcs? I mean, we've already mentioned Chris has got a Cinderella arc coming up, and you're writing the we first know, one. We know a, a few. Now, on the schedule, meaning that they've already started work uh, on their arcs, is uh, I'm doing the first arc along with uh, uh, Phil Jimenez doing mm-hmm. just incredible, incredible artwork. Uh, following me will be Lauren Bucus, rhymes with mucus, mm-hmm. and I can say that because that's her standard line, and, and uh, uh, she is a wonderful novelist, South African writer, um, whose uh, second novel uh, just won the uh, Arthur C. Clarke Award, so she's just, just fabulous. And she's doing a Rapunzel arc mm-hmm. along with Aki Miranda, who's... Uh, 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 dipped his toes in the fables uh, a little bit before, but now he's he's really really going to show his stuff. Uh, following that is a uh, writer I've known for some time, uh, who made his bones in Hollywood, but is now uh, uh, now looking for other venues. Named Sean Williams. Yeah. And he was uh, you'll know the name just because he was one of the guest writers doing our thirty mm-hmm. day uh, mm-hmm. contest. But, uh, the, the larger comic world does not know him yet, and they will. Uh, and he's doing a very interesting uh, third arc. Um, what can I tell you about this? Uh, I will tell you that it introduces a new uh, Ferris and All the Land character from uh, Indian folklore. Excellent. Uh, Indian as uh, East Indian. Um, and... Uh, those are those three arcs are all being worked on now. Following that, of course, will be Chris and and the return of Chris and and uh, Sean Mc, uh, yeah Sean McManus. Uh, Very cool. Who are the, you know uh, the team to do Cinderella stuff? Um, not yet scheduled as in the sense of yes, they are going to do some stuff, but uh, we don't know in what order yet. Uh, Mark Andreco, uh who made a, a Terrific name for himself doing the Manhunter series for DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed to do a Ferris arc. Uh, Matt Sturgis is going to do um, the most unlikely Ferris in all the land story uh, coming up. Uh, um, and a few others. Oh, and, and Mark Finn has been invited to, and, and although his will be pretty far down the road, uh, we'll get it out of him at some point. Eventually. <laughs> you seem to. I mean, well, you, you I'm, well, well in advance. We, we've got yeah. about four years worth, and we don't even know if uh, if Ferris is going to uh, be around four years from now. Well, with names on like that, I'm sure it will be around. And of well, course, I with uh, some great cover art by Adam Hughes, I'm sure it will be around for. We a have while. Adam Hughes who's agreed to do the covers, uh, and that, this is a wonderful thing. I've known Adam for his entire career. Uh, we came up through uh, Kimiko together when I was mm-hmm. doing Element. And he was doing... Oh, God. Maze Agency? Doing? Pardon me? Was that it? Maze, Maze, Maze Agency? Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, so Adam has been, been a friend for a long time and just the, uh, the artist that he's built himself into being is, is absolutely amazing. Uh, one day at a convention... Uh, he mentions to me that he had not really uh, followed fables uh, until uh, some fan uh, at the convention uh, wanted him to uh, do 
uh, convince us to sketch of one of the Fables characters. And his uh, lovely wife, Allison, uh, who had been reading Fables, uh, put some of them under Adam's nose and says, well, if you need reference, here they are. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, he started reading Fables and got hooked on them. And one day, just out of blue, said to me, uh, if there's any way I could ever do Fables covers, uh, I'm your guy. Um, one of the reasons we decided, you know, when you think about doing a spinoff series, there's a list of pros and a list of cons. Well, the knowledge that that Adam was on board to do the covers, uh, if we should do another uh, Fables series, uh, was was one of the the first things in the pros. This is why we should do this uh, list, and uh, uh, possibly one of the deciding factors in that. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, for Bill, another Twitter uh, post comes in. Is the current Justice League Dark based on an old Shadow Pact idea? I seem to recall you teasing something with Enchantress a while ago. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know. Okay. I, I like doing Shadow Pact. Um, uh, it, was an, it was never a great seller. Uh, and then when they asked me to take a break from Shadow Pack to do another thing, uh, it was probably a bad idea for me to do it because uh, I would have rather stayed on that. I would have rather tried to build that up into, mm-hmm. into a better, meaning greater readership series. You you do have quite a readership. I mean, quite a following of, of people who like specific works. Uh, Elementals is another one. And it seems like the question comes up every time... Uh, at conventions or every time people have an open mic, they always ask, what's, what is the planned ending or is there one with Elementals? Uh, with Elementals, the closest thing to uh, when, when uh, Kamiko went under, uh, we sort of knew it in advance. And when uh, um, a fellow named Andrew Rev came along to bail out Kamiko, um, they didn't. The, the the people that ran Kimiko weren't entirely upfront about what the situation was. He mm. was not bailing out Kimiko in the sense of now we're going to get a money infusion and continue as before. He was buying out Kimiko, meaning I'm going to be Kimiko from now on and you guys go away. Uh, so when I still thought that that the the old gang would still be in charge of it, uh, even though I wanted to move on, I'd get, I'd been getting work at DC at the time. Uh, I didn't want to like take my toys and just go home and leave them in the lurch, so I agreed to sell all elementals to Kamiko. Mm. Uh, I wasn't quite aware at the time when I did that that I was agreeing to sell them to this guy I'd never met solely. Um, so the answer is to that uh, question: Will what will the the ending of the elemental saga be? I knew way back when what it would be. Wrote a huge Bible at the sale to show what it should be when I left, uh, and they never did anything with it. For those that are interested in what it might have been, uh, with Bill Williams and Lone Star Press, I did a book called Pantheon, mm-hmm. uh, written by me, mostly drawn by Mike Leake, a wonderful artist, um, to answer that question even though Pantheon are, are different characters and you can't one-to-one map like this is the Tommy Zucker character and this is the right. the Star character. You can't do that. But in the general tone as to what was going to happen, 
uh, read Pantheon and you'll see how elementals would have eventually come to an end. Another person says, loved Coventry, especially the art. Any chance that we'll see more of that or will it be reprinted? Because that's hard to track down those individual issues. Yeah, I don't know that it will ever be reprinted, and I don't know that I'll ever do more of it. Uh, Coventry was a difficult book to do in the sense that uh, it took it took everything I could produce um, to even come close to coming out with it once a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I was to return to Coventry with both art and writing, uh, I'd have to give up fables. I'd have to give up many other projects. Mm-hmm. I couldn't write novels. It would just my job would be to do Coventry. Uh, the problem, the reason I had to leave it is that Coventry uh, was not earning enough for me to to make a living doing it at the time. There were sure. other circumstances. That was when the uh, black and white comic industry was imploding where many of the distributors were self-destructing because of the, the Marvel move to, to self-distribute. I don't know how good your, your comics history is. Um, it looked like the, the uh, direct sales comic industry was trying to tear itself apart at the time. Right, right. Um, so getting an income from Coventry was spotty. It was, it was a choice of do I leave to do other comic books or do I uh, do Coventry as kind of a vanity project while I get a day job. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do any of those things. To return to it, um, like I said, I'd have to give up too much other yeah. stuff to return to it. That said, uh, once again, there are ways to to occasionally have one's cake and eat it too. Uh, and in this case, like the uh, the Fallen Angel storyline that was started in Coventry, uh, I got to do a, a uh, slightly truncated version of that. Uh, that appeared in DC's, uh, in Vertigo's uh, uh, Flight of Angels hardback that just came out. Mm, okay. Uh, Rebecca Guy illustrated the, the stories of various writers. Um, so if you'd like, if you were a fan of Coventry and want to see how at least that one plot element turned out, you can, uh, you can read my story in Flight of Angels and, and see. Uh, let's see, one more. Uh, what are your thoughts on digital comics? My thoughts on digital comics. I think digital comics are a great idea um, uh, because I think, um, you know, any medium in which you can tell stories is is a grand thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Storytelling will not go away. Uh, It will occasionally change forms. Uh, But comic reading and comic production and comic printing, the actual uh, uh, ink on paper that you can hold in your hand, uh, I don't think that will actually go away anyway, just because relatively they're an inexpensive entertainment medium to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, a kid, you know, in his home, uh, well, this used to be true. I was just about to say a kid in his home can't get the money together to produce his own movie. Although now the technology has changed that you can. Right. Uh, Ten years ago, you couldn't. Uh, mm-hmm. But you could, you know, scrape up enough to produce a comic. Um, digital comics are such that uh, it takes even less money-wise. If you own a computer, and almost everyone does, uh, and has some basic illustration programs, you can uh, produce a comic and put it online for those who are able to find it to find it. Uh, and it's a very egalitarian uh, 
time in storytelling right now where uh, anyone at all who thinks they have a, has a story to tell, now there's venues. They're no longer the, the gatekeepers they used to be to keep you from uh, doing that. Now anyone can really do it. Um, the trouble is, is, is so if everyone can do it, then everyone can do it. It's, it's going to be uh, problematic finding a, a good enough, uh, large enough readership uh, mm-hmm. for you to stand out amongst the, uh, the others. Mm-hmm. It's nice, though, that, that the, re- the way one does stand out eventually in, amongst so big a field is that you're a little bit better than the, the average bear. Uh, I don't mind a world in which that's the case, where, uh, where the better things rise to the top uh, and you, you know, you find your readership by virtue of having won them fairly in, in combat. Now we're sounding mm-hmm. very glad. <laughs> um, well, you've, you've certainly won your readers over, over the years that you have been, uh, writing both the prose novels and in, in comic books. And, I and I'm so. glad to see that fables continues to be a, a, a big hit. And I'm hoping, uh, this upcoming week, March 7th, when, uh, Ferris hits bookstores that a lot of people go out and pick that up. I hope that uh, that anyone who reads this, um, if you uh, are currently reading Fables, uh, I hope you'll want to pick up Ferris. If you are not currently reading Fables or not a fan of, um, we are working hard to make sure that Ferris is a uh, standalone series in the sense that you do not need Fables to understand what's going on in Ferris. That said you're going to be confused by the first issue because like many stories, we drop you right in the middle of things mm-hmm. and, and explain to you what's really going on as the issues go on. Uh, but by the end of the first part, you are going to be able to look and say, oh, I see now, I understand everything I need to know. This is why this happened. This is who these people are. And, uh, and you don't need to, to be a Fables fan. In any case... Fables reader or not, I hope you'll consider uh, picking up Ferris. Um, it'll be easy to find on the comic fans because it's got a truly, truly gorgeous cover uh, mm-hmm. on it, we discussed before. And, uh, and any comic shop, uh, any comic clerk, store owner, whatever, worth his salt, will be able to point you right to it and say, it's right over there, pick it up. Excellent. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for taking the time and talking to well, us bet. and to our listeners out there. It's, it's been a real joy and a pleasure for me. And uh, anytime you want to come back and just uh, talk about anything, uh, the door is open. Okay. Well, when I finally put together uh, all the, uh, the information I need to uh, solve the, the world debt crisis, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll tap you on the shoulder again and, and we'll tackle that one. Thank you once again, Bill, for being on the show this week. Thank you. Don't forget Ferris in stores this week, March 7th. Please be sure to check it out. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast, you want to see more uh, good stuff come out of what we're doing, both in Critical Hit, the Major Spoilers Podcast, the Major Spoilers site, Top 5, and a whole lot more, uh, we would appreciate if you would just uh, make, a, make a donation, a, a recurring donation or a one-time donation, just like uh, we heard the uh, names at the top of the show get shouted out to for their contribution. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. And on the next Major Spoilers podcast, we'll be looking at the Longbow Hunters. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we'll talk with you soon. 
If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. It's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the middle east With a king sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler Spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.